Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Our reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, the first chapter, starting with the fifth verse. Listen to the word of God. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until this day happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. This is the word of the Lord. Well, believe it or not, we are officially in the Christmas season. Are you guys ready for it? Ready or not, here it is. It's upon us. I know for some of you, uh, you are filled with such joy that we are officially there. The decorations, the music, the food, the lights, the smells, the traditions, the movies. For some people in this room, this is the best time of the year. Ah, it's Christmas. There are other people, though, that have the opposite experience. You feel this sense of anxiety and pressure with Christmas. You greet the season of Christmas like Jerry Seinfeld greeted Newman. Well, hello, Christmas. The stress, the busyness, the plethora of Christmas parties, the awkward white elephant exchanges... Sometimes even the most depressing music is in Christmas. So let's do a little poll here. Who in, who in this room for this season is just nothing but bliss and delight and joy? Let me see your hands. And who in this room also have this, like, this anxiety, this pressure, this stress that you feel in Christmas? Now, who actually likes that last song? Oh my gosh, what is with you? Well, uh, the Christmas season uh, can come with all sorts of baggage, good and bad baggage. 
Well, do not fear while the world is starting to ratchet up the Christmas machine and it's going in full throttle right now. The church historically enters into something else that's actually countercultural. It's something called Advent. The word Advent means arrival. And so we are now in the season that the church historically is called Advent where we look at the arrival of Jesus. We anticipate the arrival of Jesus. So during this season, we kind of do three different things. We reflect on how Jesus arrived 2,000 years ago and what it must have meant for those people back then. We also, we welcome with anticipation Jesus in our life today. We look at the arrival of Jesus and His promises in our life today. And some, one of the most peculiar things that we are called to do in Advent is we're also called to look at the promise that Jesus promises to come back. He promises to arrive again and set this world right and bring about justice and joy and healing and restoration once and for all. And this is this, the calling of Advent. It's a time of anticipation. It's a time of waiting. It's a time of longing and these are all the experiences that we are called to in this season of Advent. And it's so interesting because it's the opposite of what our culture is doing. While our culture is obsessively filling their lives, filling calendars and closets and credit card bills, the church is actually called to do the opposite. In Advent, we are called to sit with our longings, our hopes, and familiarize ourselves with waiting on God. That is why we are beginning this sermon series called Behold. In this, uh, this, this season that we are, have together, we're going to look at this word behold and consider there's so many different stories of Jesus' birth around Jesus' birth where it has the word behold. And this word behold, um, like for instance, behold, I give you good news that will cause great joy. This was the words of the angels. And we find this word behold scattered throughout Jesus' birth and it's Almost as if Scripture's trying to call us awake. Uh, look here. Gaze upon here. These are the different meanings of the word behold. It means to gaze, to stop, to ponder, to consider, to look at something with marvel. To get us uh, a, little, a, little, a little help here with understanding the word behold, where are my people who love museums and galleries? Who love visual art? All right, so there's two different people who experience the museum. There are people who bounce around, darting from installation to installation, many times as quickly as you can. And oftentimes, what you say is, oh, I, well, I could have done that. I could have done that, right? There's those people who just bounce around, and then there's the other type of people who will sit at a painting and just take it in, slowly, considering all the different choices the artist made the use of light and darkness, the brush strokes, maybe even the history of where it's coming from. And they are actually taking in the beauty of a particular piece of art. Now, while those two people are there, the difference between them is that one sees the art and the other beholds it. The other actually beholds this piece of beauty. This is the countercultural calling of the church in this season. Rather than bouncing around from thing to thing, we are called to sit, to ponder, to behold what it means that God became flesh and chose to live among us. 
and that Jesus still promises to be here. That's our calling, to behold that promise in this season. So over these four Sundays, we're going to look at four different passages and many times four, four different people who, who had the opportunity to behold the promise of Jesus or some, some of them literally beholding Jesus himself. And today we look at this experience of this man named Zechariah. In Luke's gospel, the writer, the writer of this story of Luke uh, the story of how Luke experienced and saw Jesus, he chose not to, he or she chose not to begin with stories about Jesus or Mary or Joseph, but begins with stories about a man, a priest named Zechariah. Zechariah, he was old in age. He was married to Elizabeth and was without child. And he and Elizabeth, um, they, were, they were godly good people, and God took notice of them. One day, Zechariah and other priests in his divisions, they were, it was their time to go to the temple to do their priestly duties. And so what they would do is they would cast lots. It's like picking, drawing straws to see who would have the privilege to go into the most sacred part of the temple and to burn incense, which after three weeks of trying that here at the vine, we chose not to burn incense anymore. Thanks for the feedback. Appreciate that. We realized some people were allergic to it, and other people thought they stumbled into uh, to, to Planet K. <laughs> Whatever. But that's what the priests would do. They would go in there, and their job was to refuel the incense and have it burn. And uh, a little history about this task. So uh, only one priest was chosen to do it, and that, that priest would only have the opportunity to burn the incense once in their life. Once in their life would they be able to have that opportunity to go, in front of, uh, to go in front of the holiest of holies where this curtain divided the inner part of the temple from the holiest of holies. And this was the most sacred part of the temple where you believe that God was uniquely present. And so this priest would go in there and refuel the incense while people were outside worshiping and praying. And Zechariah, this was his day. This was his moment, it was, would be the most important moment in his priestly life, the most sacred moment of his priestly duties. And it is in that moment that Zechariah had a surprise encounter. In verse 11 of Luke 1, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of, of the incense. The right side is, is uh, whenever you see that in the Bible, it always means the side of authority and power. That's where this angel was. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear, a son, bear you a son, and you are to call him John. What we find here is Zechariah, he and Elizabeth have been praying for this child. They had this longing, this desire, and what they... What this angel says to him is that God hears your prayers. God knows your longings. We need to know this in our Advent season of our life, that God hears our prayers. God knows our longings. But he goes beyond, beyond that to say that God will provide you this child. In verse 14, John, this is his name, John, will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or fermented drink. He's to be set apart. 
and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the, of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord. He will go on before God in the presence and the power of Elijah, which was a prophet, someone who spoke on behalf of God generations before. And the purpose of this son, purpose of this child, John, John will be used to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and to the disobedient, to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That is what your child will be used for. That is the purpose of your child, John. This will be his life, to prepare the way for the Christ. Think of how overwhelming this would be. Think of not only that this dream of having a child that you've held in your heart for years and years and years would finally come true, but that this child would have this unique, incredible purpose for God's work in this world. And of course, Zechariah, he was like flooded with questions, flooded with wonder. And the first thing to come out of his mouth was a, a question that many of us would probably say as well. How can I be sure of this? Whoa, 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 wait a minute. How, is, how, do, how can I know for sure that this is going to happen? I am old. I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. That's a gentle way of saying that she's super old as well, right? Well along in years. As if this radiant presence of the angel in front of the holiest of holies would not be reason enough to believe, Zechariah has questions. Really? Is this really going to happen? Verse 19, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you of this gospel, this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. You want a sign? Okay, silence. How about that as a sign? And with the simple question that Zechariah has, Zechariah now is struck with silence for nine months. Now, there's a couple different ways you could look at this. Either one way you could look at this is that the angel Gabriel was frustrated and angry at Zechariah for not believing. And so, almost like being put in time out, uh, he's struck with silence for nine months. Okay, that's one way to read it. But what if, what if there's another purpose of this? What if this wasn't a punishment? But what if silence, this season of silence, would be something that Zechariah needed? That he needed this time of silence so that he could be prepared for the task that God had for him. You see, silence creates space for us to behold God. Silence creates space for us to behold God's promises. It's this gift. A friend of mine, uh, he and I were visiting, and he told me something about his mom, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, she was sharing with him, uh, they were talking, and, and he asked her, Mom, what happens after these big family gatherings, when everyone's here and it's a flurry? What, what do you do when everyone leaves? Like, <laughs> when everyone's gone, what do, you, what do you do? And she shared that she takes a day just to reflect on, on the experiences that they had. Almost as if she was afraid that if she just moved on, she wouldn't be able to truly appreciate what they experienced together. Processing conversations, thinking about what's going on with that person. I wonder if they're, well, just delighting in what's happened. It's, it's almost this fear of, if 
you don't actually reflect and behold these experiences, you don't truly take them in. You know, we live in a full and noisy and busy world, and it's hard for there to be space to ponder, space to reflect, to behold God's work in our lives, or even just to reflect on how am I doing? (laughs) Instead, we rush through life and we bounce from events to entertainment to noise to duties without much time for reflection. And I have wondered in my life how many lessons have been lost on me because I didn't just pause and take them in. But silence and stillness creates that space. I believe it did for Zechariah. Zechariah would now have the unrequested gift of silence. He would not have the temptation to move on or to fill his life with noise and words, but he had this unrequested gift to be able to reflect and to behold what just happened to him. I wonder all the different lessons that Zechariah uniquely had because of these nine months of silence. I wonder how he would pray in his heart towards God. I wonder how he would reflect on Gabriel's words. I'm sure those words that, that uh, Gabriel had said to him was playing over and over in his mind. What did he mean when he said that my son will be a joy and a delight to many, that he is great in the sight of the Lord and will be set apart? What does it mean that he will prepare the way for the Lord? These nine months would be this time of Advent for Zechariah time of great anticipation, longing, a time of waiting. So months passed, and finally the day came where Elizabeth gave birth to her son, and, and Zechariah still was not able to talk. The whole community was gathered there, and, and they joined in their joy. And uh, Elizabeth um, and, and Zechariah had the experience many of us do when it came around naming their child. People feel very comfortable sharing their suggestions and their inputs, even when they're not requested. Uh, Jen and I chose, after we watched my brother, to not share the names of our children until they were born so that it would seem more, you know, cemented. But uh, they they shared their idea. They said, no, 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 the name John does not make sense. You should name him Zechariah because this is his father's name. Um, And Zechariah, though he was so silent, and everyone was doubting Elizabeth's choice. Zechariah called for a tablet. It wrote on the tablet the simple words, his name is John. And then his mouth was uncorked, and he could speak. He had learned the lesson in those nine months that uh, when an angel shows up and tells you something, go with it, right? His name is going to be John. And as soon as that happened, as soon as that was written, he could speak. And notice what, what comes out of his mouth, the first words, what's bubbling up in his heart and his mind. Verse 64, immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was set free. He began to speak, praising God. Zechariah went, went from months of silence to what was the first thing he says. He began praising God. While others were questioning his name, Zechariah had learned to trust and to obey when God speaks to you. In verse 65, all the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? 
for the Lord's hand was with him. Even before John had grown up, people were already looking at him. They knew he was set apart because of what happened around Elizabeth and Zechariah. John, the name John literally means that God is gracious. God is gracious. And John would live out the meaning of his name to fulfill the grace of God in this world, preparing the way for Jesus. It's interesting for me, out of all the characters in Scripture, for whatever reason, God has brought John the Baptist to my life over and over and over again. It began, I I spent like a week in a monastery, and a weird thing in the monastery is at meals you would sit in silence um, while people were just sitting in silence, and sometimes they would read Scripture or uh, poetry or something like that. But this uh, painting of John the Baptist was in front of me, and I, was, I was, couldn't move around, so I was just set here looking at this painting, much like this of John the Baptist. I was beholding it. I was forced to. And then, you know, uh, about a year ago, I was with a friend in California, and we were talking, and he reached into his pocket, and he said, I don't know why, but I feel like you just need to have this. And it was a, it's a little icon that he gave me of John the Baptist. And he felt like, you know, I just feel like maybe this, this should belong to you. And I've been holding it in my pocket for a while. I'm not sure who to give it to, but I think this is yours, Mark. And I have been thinking about John the Baptist throughout the last several years. For whatever reason, God has brought it to me, in part because John the Baptist is the example for me of such faithful, humble uh, service to God. John knew who he was and the purpose that God had for his life. He gathered fame and status around Judea all before Jesus stepped, in this war, uh, stepped into the public sphere. And when Jesus came, John was happy to give it all away. He was happy to give away his followers, his, his uh, status, so that Jesus could be made great. He actually said the phrase that for me has been a mantra, that Jesus must increase and I must decrease. I, I am happy that my life is about making Christ's name greater, even if my name needs to be made smaller. But someone, someone had to prepare John for this. Someone had to teach John this, to, to shepherd his life in that way. I believe that these nine months of silence for Zechariah uniquely was purposed by God. That Zechariah and Elizabeth, they they held the promises that Gabriel had gave them on behalf of God. And that sunk into their hearts and minds, and they shepherded this child differently because of it. And from that nine months of silence, this experience happens when John is born, the community gathers, they're in awe. Zechariah can speak. And something that beautiful happens, that Zechariah had, he broke into song. Out of all the different things, Zechariah, he broke into song. Maybe the song was forming slowly in his heart and his mind over nine months of silence. Or maybe the song just came to him in this moment, but I imagine Zechariah cradling John in his, in his hands, beholding his son and breaking into the song. This is from the message translation. But this is the song he, he sang. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. He came and set his people free. He set the power of salvation in the center of our lives. And you, my child, I just imagine Zechariah holding John and saying this over him, 
you, my child, prophet of the highest, will go ahead of the master to prepare his ways, present the offer of salvation to his people, the forgiveness of their sins through the heartfelt mercies of our God. God's sunrise will break in upon us, shining on those in the darkness, those sitting in the shadows of death, then showing us the way, one foot at a time, down the path of peace. It seems like in between doubting God's Word and nine months later, Zechariah had a different perspective. Zechariah had a different perspective because he beheld the promises of God. And what's amazing is these words of this song come true. John would go ahead of the Master to prepare the way for Christ. John would present to the world this offer of salvation Jesus, the light of the world, would walk us down the path of peace, the path of shalom, restoration, healing, and wholeness, one step at a time. Zechariah seemed to get it. And something that's interesting to me is the very last verse in this chapter is in verse uh, verse 80, talking now about John. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. John would live in the wilderness. And the wilderness is always a, a place, it's a thematic place of silence, of solitude, and of being with God. I wonder if this is something that John picked up from Zechariah. To see silence as a gift, not as punishment. Zechariah's story teaches us that, to behold God's word in science and solitude is something that is a lifeline for us. And it just makes me reflect on this. What is our relationship with silence? What is your relationship to silence in your life? Is silence something that you avoid? Does it awaken anxiety in you? Or does it feel like a gift? As it was for Zechariah, it can be for us that silence is not punishment, but it can be a gift from God. I'm like many of you. Silence does not come easily to me. You know I'm loud. You know I'm a busybody. It's foreign to me. But as countercultural as Advent is to Christmas, so is silence to the, our way of living. Silence is the spiritual practice of undivided attention. And we know that that is a commodity that's rare nowadays. We have such competing things against our silence and solitude, to-do list, busyness, constant noise and technology. Silence is less and less common. The practice of presence is less and less common. You know that feeling when you are really excited to connect with someone? Like you really just wanted to talk with them, to listen to them, to be with them, and the sense of disappointment when they are just on their phone? Or you can tell they're half there mentally, they're somewhere else, or they're just a, a, a avoiding listening to you because they want to get out their story or their thing. When we practice silence, it's the practice of undivided attention. And I think God longs for that in our life. God longs for that because there's something that God wants to teach us, to grow in us. Silence helps our thoughts and our hearts be present to God. It re redirects our mind and our spirit and our heart to God. We need to reconsider how we see silence. Silence is not the practice of being absent from the world. It is the practice of being fully present in the world. 
and especially present to God. So that's our invitation during the season of Advent. Our church wants to help each of us grow in our ability to behold God this season. And so uh, what we have created every day in the season of Advent, we have a, med- a meditation, short meditation for you. Each day we have made a particular word uh, for you and built a, a short devotional around that word so that we can behold truth, behold God's presence in our life, to set our gaze upon God, to slow down, consider our longings. I believe that God longs for us to discover this gift and it's of God's presence. And like Zechariah, silence is a huge part of it. So even this week, uh, we have our first devotionals that are out there in the lobby. It'll be in your inbox today, It'll be on social media. But our challenge this week uh, as a community is for us to experience silence, for us to choose the way of silence. For us to even just become aware, what are the longings that you have in your life today? If you could just pray and ask for God, that God would meet you in a new and a fresh way, what would that prayer be? What is that need that you have? Our challenge this week is to take that before the Lord. What we saw in the story of Zechariah for he and Elizabeth, the first words that the angel said to them is that God has heard your prayers, that God knows your longings. So as we enter into this season of Advent, for us to choose the narrow path away from busyness and noise and clutter, our challenge is to to make space to be present fully with God, to behold Christ again, to experience the gift of silence. I wanted to end with a poem. Poem Poetry requires time and pondering, beholding. So here's a a poem from a, a Trappist monk named Thomas Merton. I'm going to read this poem as perhaps just our prayer that we can lift up to God together. Uncrowd my heart, O God, until silence speaks in your still small voice. Turn me from the hearing of words and the making of words and the confusion of much speaking to listening, to waiting, stillness, silence. May God use silence in your life to uncrowd your heart until you've made room enough to behold Christ more fully this season.